serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the thoughts of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the word of God, the living word. Lord, we just pray and ask you at this time that your living word would speak to our hearts through the word that our hearts would bring us. At this time, if you have any kids, they can uh, go on to Children's Church at this point. And if you don't have a Bible, I believe uh, Mike Hossel in the striped shirt in the back, good looking dude in the back there, he's got some uh, Bibles for you if you, you would like one. Just raise your hand if you want, or just a little nod. My name is Ryan Oschlager. I am uh, our Pastor Ryan, or if you have kids uh, and you like uh, formalities and have good manners and stuff, just have them call me Pastor O, so you don't mess up the last name Oschlager, uh, there's lots of variants of that, like uh, they could call me Oceanschlager, Oceanliner, Schwarzenegger, you get a lot of that, or uh, one of my favorites during the Star Wars era, Oshiwan Kenobi was a big one for me, so I, you know, try, trying to get rid of that. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm the new lead pastor here of Sunrise Community Church. 
And I'm very excited to be here with you guys. Uh, we arrived on island this past week. And I got to say, um, you know, I knew there were seasons here on Cayman. Uh, people said there wasn't. The weather's been great this week. And I, I assume this is normal. And uh, 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 the leaves are changing. It's fall, right? Is that the idea? Does this happen? No? No leaves here, are there? So, um, but we've loved it thus far. And uh, it's been very seasonable. And we love everything about Cayman. But I got to ask, what's the deal with the roosters? I mean, I, um, it's always my understanding growing up in grade school, and I've done a little bit of, uh, you know, I watch a little bit of Discovery Channel, that uh, roosters are, in, are innately given this ability to, you know, crow when it's uh, sunrise, right? Sunrise, it's a God-given thing. God puts in them this thing where sunrise, they crow. But here... These things crow at just weird times, and they make music together, if you want to call it music. It's like heavy death metal music, if it's music at all. And the last time, I'm just sitting there in, in a little, little office we have in our home, and I mean, there's one would crow in our backyard, and then I heard like, everywhere. It's unbelievable. So if, if God made, you know, I believe God made all things, but he made roosters to crow at sunrise. So if that's the case, I don't know who made these roosters, what I'm going to say. All right, that's enough. Anyway, enough ranting. I think I might do that segment on that every week for my first six weeks. I love K-Man, but what's the deal with this? All right, so let's get used to that. Well, I should stop ranting. I'm happy to be here in this church. My wife, Katie, who just took our kids off. We have two boys, uh, Mason and Gage, five and three-year-olds. We're all happy to be here um, in this church because his church is exactly where we want to be. We're thankful. Um, I trusted my life to Jesus at 16 years old, and it was exhilarating. I had never known that God loves us when all we can give back to him, the only thing we can really put on the table for God is our sin, our rebellion against him. I didn't know that he would love me despite that. And early on, while God began inhabiting and owning and operating my heart after trusting my life to him, Something was still missing. There was a joy that was not yet complete. And I know that might sound strange. I don't want to give the idea that Christ is not complete. So let me, let me explain. You and I would never say, right, that chocolate ice cream is incomplete, right? It's not lacking. In fact, God bless the man or woman who invented chocolate ice cream. You know, made me bless them with the power of a thousand suns. But you put some sprinkles on it, Right? Some nuts, squeeze out some uh, chocolate and PB sauce, a little bananas fosters, and top it with a marciano cherry. Seems more complete, doesn't it? It's like, yes, now I can eat the ice cream, devour it. That's how it is, it is in this case. Um, what I'm going to talk what I'm going to talk about today, um, just like we're saved by God, if you trust in Christ, you're saved currently, and yet you're not fully saved, you're not fully with him until you're in heaven. God rules on the earth now, and yet his rule will be made more complete when he comes again. I'm going to talk today about a little about the church and, and why would we want to get to know Jesus and yet not get to know his bride, right? It's more complete. Why would we, for the guys in here, why would you want to get to know another, another friend, uh, another male friend, you know? go out to uh, enjoy a beverage with him or something like that, and not actually meet his, his wife, right? 
at some point. Actually, there's probably a lot of guys in here who <laughs> thinking, I don't really want to meet her. Um, but not as the case with Christ. Why would you want to know Christ and not know his bride, the church? Well, I mean, let me continue on here for a minute. So I didn't feel a sense of completion. But I started to read God's word after trusting him. I started to read God's word at an insatiable rate. I love God's word for some reason right away. I would sit in my room at night. I, w- I would read it as a 16-year-old, which I know this is abnormal now and a bit nerdy. I would read and outline the entire book of Mark uh, on my own with the help of the Holy Spirit. All right? and, and I found out this was not normal. And I don't say this to brag. I just, I don't know. I didn't know any better. Even still, something was missing in my life. And it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I discovered fellowship. Fellowship just meaning sharing life with other Christians. Sharing your life, your struggles, and worshiping and learning about God together. I got opportunities to teach. I'm a youth pastor in high school. I got some opportunities to teach and to lead. So some other people. I got to teach middle schoolers from God's word. And I thought to myself, man, this is awesome. I love this. This, was, this must have been missing. This is what it was. Almost. It's close, but not quite. And then it was a calling to ministry. My senior pastor in my church, or lead pastor in our church, and my youth pastor took me aside at different points during the span of a month and really started to suggest to me maybe God is calling me into some sort of ministry. All right? And, and full-time ministry. And through the experience of teaching God's word, through opportunities to share the good news about Jesus, and opportunities to lead, I began to pray. And I started to sense, man, maybe they're right. So I was full of joy and expectation. I'm going to do ministry. I don't know what that is, but I'm expecting something. It's going to be great. Still, though, something was missing. Even though I had that. I knew what I was going to do with my life, right? That's when we're supposed to feel most fulfilled. In college, I was heavily involved in a ministry, Christian ministry, called Young Life. All right, anyone here heard of Young Life? I don't know. Okay, not very many. I'll give you five, six, a few of you. Uh, I'll try to describe it briefly here. Young Life is a ministry to unbelieving, unchurched high school students. Um, who's, I think their main goal is to basically play one giant game of Jello Twister. Uh, have skits featuring Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. At least that's, I'm, this is outdated because I'm old now. Uh, and then have a gospel message at the end. So it's kind of trying to appeal to people who had never known, heard about Jesus or, or gone to church. And I loved it. I love sharing the good news about Jesus with teenagers. That there was hope for them. That, you know, yeah, life in high school is really hard and, and you don't know who you are. That's because there's something in your life that's missing and it's Jesus. Man, he gives us hope. And he gives us eternal life. And it was great sharing that with him. Um, I got a chance to meet regularly with the area director of Young Life, uh, Pat Cummings. That was a great guy. And I loved meeting with him for a number of reasons. One was because I thought that if I continued to work with youth for the rest of my life, I would do it with Young Life. I was going to be on staff with them. It was going to be awesome. But he took me to church along with him. And he started talking to me how great church is. He loved church. And he asked me the question, it was very important in my life, why wouldn't you want to be part of a church? Why wouldn't you want to be part of a church? 
And I got to admit, I had, some, I had some good answers, some good Christian answers too, all right? And things like, you know, I had fellowship with other Christians on my college campus. I mean, most of those guys were in my wedding, you know, et cetera. It was great. Uh, I got to work with teenagers who were hungry for hope. You know, it was great. What, what else did I really need in my life? And still something was missing. I wasn't convinced. So I started attending a different church, gradually got involved in a Bible study uh, led by a guy named Andy Burgess. Um, something sparked when I was with Andy. He was my dad's age, or around my dad's age. And he had guys like me over for lunch. And he would impart a lot of wisdom to me. You know, share with me about life experience and, and things he had learned from Jesus and from the Bible. And one day at this church, an assistant pastor, who I also like, named David Singh from India, he came over for a college luncheon at Andy's house. And I loved hearing David Singh preach. Especially when he'd say, Holy Spirit, I just love that. I don't know, something else. I was like, yes, I love it. And when he'd share about God's work in the church, I'm not going to keep using an Indian accent, but it just felt right. I love listening to him. At this luncheon, he asked almost an identical question. It was eerie. He said to, to a small group of us afterwards, I just want to ask you guys a question. Why wouldn't you want to be part of a church? It's like, oh man, wait a minute. I've heard this question before. God's clearly trying to get my attention. But still, didn't quite plunge in. And thus, something was still missing in my life. So after getting married, going to seminary, that's a big part of my life. I'm skipping over it for now. Sorry, Katie. Uh, I shared these experiences with my senior pastor. All right, this new church I joined once getting into the Chicago area for seminary. And he challenged me. He asked me, okay, Ryan, who in the Bible is called to preach and to teach? Well, you know, pastors and elders in the church, right? Yeah, yeah. Where do people go to grow their faith in Christ? I said, well, they went out to their local church. You know, a group of believers gathering in, in homes. And that was their church. Like, yeah. So what did you love? What did you really like or love about church in college? I thought for a minute. I said, you know, what I really loved was pastors like David Singh, who had a kind of authority and calling to teach, encourage, and challenge me. I like that. And I also like that there were people of all ages and backgrounds. Like Andy Burgess. Had no reason for knowing this guy. He was an insurance rep who happened to live in a college town. But because he knew Jesus, I was able to share life with him. People don't get together like that and impart wisdom otherwise. We don't go to clubs and talk to people who are maybe a different ethnicity or different age and different things otherwise. Usually it's because of Jesus people do those things. That's what makes the church so awesome. All different kinds of people. I look out today, people from I don't know how many countries. It's one of the reasons we wanted to come here. Love the diversity and that we could come together because of Jesus and him alone. And what a testimony that is to the rest of Cayman. I'll digress. Get to that later. I'm going to start preaching another sermon. And so I realized what I've been missing. I've been missing the church. You mean the outdated organization known for pews, old hymns, choir music, organs, and apparently irrelevant for the 21st century? Yes, that very church. The church. 
So when I was thinking about what to preach on and praying about it, God really brought to mind just what I described to you. Many of you here today might be asking, why should I be part of a church? You know? And you may or may not know Jesus. And if you do, perhaps you're just here, you're, you're coming for a little teaching, a dash of fellowship, and dare I say it, uh, a heaping of, I want to feel good about myself when I leave. <laughs> right? I've gone to church for that reason before. I want to feel a little better about myself when I, get, when I leave. Going to church kind of does that. Perhaps you've never really been a part of a church, or maybe you've never you've been a part of a church but never really invested in a church, using the gifts God has given you to serve. But at the very least, I know a couple things. Here at Sunrise, we have a very young church. It's about three years old, give or take. You've had one interim pastor in a short history. So at the very least, there's some here with little or no, no experience with the church and little or no experience with the pastor. So it just made sense. So over the next four or five weeks, we're going to take a look at two passages in God's Word. Yes, I'm one of those pastors that takes four or five weeks to get through two passages. But these two passages are written to the same church. Same church. I think there's a reason for that. These two passages have a lot to say to the people like us. People who might be figuring out, you know, what good is church? What, what good are pastors? And what exactly do churches and pastors do? What are they supposed to do? According to God's word. So we're going to be looking at that, and we're not going to be talking about things like, you know, I don't know, maybe you've heard uh, sermons on this kind of thing before, or people talk about this. We're not going to do things on, you know, we're going to talk about why our church is better than a hundred other churches on the island, although of course we know this one is, right? And, and we're not going to, we don't have any hidden agenda, like, you know, uh, constructing a big church building, and we need your money. Uh, so that I can have an office that is not adjacent to my kids' play area, right outside my sliding glass door. Awesome. By the way, first office I ever had with a sliding glass door. It's awesome. Until I break my nose on it. But instead, we're going to just... Uh, you're, you'll enjoy that later. We're just going to simply investigate what the Bible has to say about a church and its pastor. All right? That's it. We're going to begin that today. And by the way, this will be the lamest PowerPoint you've ever seen. I didn't have internet service until uh, like yesterday morning, I believe. And uh, just because everything on this island, as you may know, takes a little while. So, um, you know, eventually um, I uh, held up a dish and plugged in something while typing with my toes. And it worked. So uh, this is what you get. It's going to be very low tech. Virginia's <laughs> pastor. Um, I had a decision to make when, 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 when beginning this series. All right, I just want to share this with you. We're really going to begin the sermon in a minute. Uh, a decision to make when we, when we started this. Do I start with talking about the church or the pastor? What's it going to be? Right? And um, it was a hard decision because on the one hand, I love me. Right? I love me. I, uh, I think about me. I have a lot of pictures of me. I'm always finding things around the house with my name on them. So that's, that's always a plus. But I do love you guys too. And uh, I've been praying for you. I've sensed God's calling to be part of this church family. And I have your names written down as well in my, in my prayer journal and on my iPhone. Any of your names? Uh, you, can, you decide which is better. I don't know. But in the end, in the end, I've known me the longest. 
So I choose me, the pastor. Sorry. This kind of sounds like a breakup, doesn't it? It sounds like we're breaking up right now. But it's not. Um, instead, I thought we would start with... Come on. All right. I thought we'd start with the pastor because as I thought about God's high calling upon the church and his pastor, I thought it'd be a bit unloving of me and a bit unpastoral of me even if I started challenging you without first challenging myself and trying to stretch out next to God's high measuring stick. You know, so I thought I'd throw myself in the fire first and that would be a bit better. Um, So we're going to begin. And let's begin by praying to the true senior pastor, the senior shepherd, Jesus. That's right, the sermon hasn't begun yet. It's turns now. So that's, that time didn't count against me. But let's pray to the true senior shepherd, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for this time. Um, God, I'm excited just to be with these people. Uh, Lord, and again, I uh, hope they sense the excitement as well. But most of all, Lord, we want to sense your spirit during this time. I mean, it's not about... It's not really ultimately about the church or its pastor. It's really about you, Jesus, and you are senior shepherd. And you just gave us um, the church so we can relate to one another, share life together, grow together. You gave us pastors to help us with that, uh, only because you called them, not because we're any better, any worse. And we're certainly, we certainly have a lot of sin in our lives. So, Jesus, I pray right now that you would really help us look at your word. Um, God, help our hearts be challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let me give you a little background. Uh, Sarah Hossel, you know, up here earlier, very thankful for Sarah. She read from a book in the Bible called The Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 20, verse 17 through 38, which hopefully you have a Bible nearby, you can look along, but Acts of the Apostles. Now, why the apostles get the, uh, get the Amazon.com cred in the book's title, really there are two greater players in this book. And the apostles. They are the Holy Spirit and the church. All right, so the book maybe really should be titled uh, something with regard to the Holy Spirit and the church. Maybe the Holy Spirit, Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. That would probably be the best title for it. But the author, as a physician and history buff named Luke, and he writes about how the 12 people who are closest to Jesus receive the power of God in their lives comes inside of them, dwells inside of them. His name is the Holy Spirit. These 12 people then go and preach the good news about Jesus, that he came to save people from sin and death by forgiving them of sin. And so people got included in their number. They started coming along with them. They got included in their church. And the church grows. And then people from other places here from other regions all around the world, here, and they take the good news back to where they live and start churches and go on. A guy named Paul is among the number. He believes the good news. All right? God chooses him to help start other churches, even pastor them. One place was a place called Ephesus. We, only, we won't get into geography now. We can worry about that later. Ephesus, though, is the, the sort of magic and we love Artemis capital of the world. An Artemis, Greek god, etc. In fact, um, where you see pictures of stingrays and pirates on, on Harbor Boulevard, they have images of Artemis everywhere. All right? Paul spends three years, about well, three years, in Ephesus. 
telling people the good news about Jesus and pastoring a church. He spends more time there than any other church we know of, except maybe Jerusalem, but we know he hasn't pastored the church in Jerusalem. So he spends more time there pastoring than any other church we know of. As right, so you can imagine, three years, you get close to people, right? You'd hope, especially when you're talking about serious things like life, death, etc. And he does. He's very close with them. And so we shouldn't be surprised that he takes this voluntary layover here in Acts 20 to see his good friends on the beach here at Miletus. All right, these elders of Ephesus, the leaders of the church. So as a pastor of the church three years, he shares with the elders or leaders of this church why he believes his ministry with them is now complete. It seems like this could be kind of an odd passage since this is like the end of his ministry, beginning of mine here. But the great thing is that he has the advantage of looking back, right? It's a time of closure and celebration. Let's look back on what God has done. And so it's actually ideal for us because we can say, man, what do we aspire to as a church? And particularly, what do we aspire to as a church and a leadership team, as, a, as, a, as elders? So it's ideal for our discussion today. Paul speaks, on the one hand, about his unique role as pastor, and he speaks also about the unique role that the, the team as a whole has, that he and the elders have terms of leading a church. So today we're going to start with the the unique role that Paul has as lead pastor of the church. So we're going to look at five roles that are unique to the lead pastor of a church that Paul describes here. All right, Five roles that are unique to the lead pastor of a church. And because of time reasons, I will probably only get a couple done. But that's okay. We'll just continue more next week, making this more like a six-week series. Okay? But as pastor, I get to do that. It's awesome. So, all right. Five roles. Uh, a pastor is five things. He is a snow globe, a compass, a trumpet, an appraiser, and an executor. Executor, not an executor. Should really be very specific with that. I want, no one's going to die today. Uh, no, we know of. Please, Lord. All right. Now you may. So these are things. Obviously, I'm, I'm using analogies. What I'm seeing here in God's word. Um, you may have other images of pastors, other descriptions. Certainly, you may have other expectations of pastors. But this is where Paul describes here, in terms of what he most valued about his ministry complete. So I think it'd be very beneficial for us to look at that as well. So first, so come along with me for the ride. A pastor is a snow globe. All right, everyone know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a snow globe, right? Things you shake up, they rain down, artificial snow or glitter, or things on big landscapes and whatnot. Beautiful landscapes usually, or New York City, um, which is not as beautiful. So, the most terrifying book in seminary I ever read wasn't Lexical Aids to Greek Grammar, although that was very close, or (laughs) The Hermeneutical Spiral, which, as you can imagine, did spiral me greatly. Uh, But it was a book called, (laughs) this is addressed to pastors, your life is a glass house. All right? Your life is a glass house. That was disturbing to me when, when I saw that title. I was like, what? My life is a glass house. Okay. That means it is open and available for all to view, as if you're a museum, uh, but an exciting museum where weird things happen. Uh, and this is true not only to me and, and, and for my own life, but I dragged, of course, Katie and my two boys into this, this life as well, and the reality of a public ministry. 
our life is transparent and open for all, and uh, people have all kinds of expectations of what your life should look like. Some uh, healthy, some good expectations, which are needed. Some a little unfair, and some downright bizarre. Uh, I've heard, we, I, I'm not going to go into the kind of requests I've heard as a pastor in terms of things, but there's some crazy requests I've gotten. Um, so I wanted to take the analogy from this book, Your Life is a Glass House, and expand it into a glass snow globe. I'll explain more shortly. But if you have your Bible with you, we'll start in verse 18, where Paul says this. If you don't, you can just read along with me or listen. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. You know, he's saying, you know how I lived. You saw it. You drank it in. You smelled it. Sometimes it didn't smell so good. But you knew it. From the first day I set foot here. And that is a challenge for me as a pastor to be this kind of transparent with you guys, with this church. All right? Um, and that's starting the first day I get on the plane. All right? This past week. In fact, it started before then. Um, thankfully, it started before then. Having lugged a majority of 400 pounds of luggage to the uh, ticket counter at Cayman Airways, I was told that I would not be able to get on a flight. And, you know, I was have my kids with me. We don't have any cell phones anymore. We've checked out of the hotel. You're not getting on this flight to go to Grand Cayman. What? I don't understand. <laughs> so, of course, I run to the closest internet cafe, um, which I, you know, I'm frantically looking for one of those past gift stores. And I get on and uh, I Skype uh, Brian Lowers up there who, who has been very helpful in helping me make this transition. I need to make that disclaimer. But I Skype Brian Lowers and I was open with him about my feelings. Um, <laughs> I said, that's it, dude. I'm coming to hunt you down and make you pay. <laughs> it <was> something like that. <laughs> what I said. Not really. But uh, I was a little bit disturbed at this point. And I don't think that's what Paul meant when he said... Look, you know how I live my life. I was open before you. I was transparent. By the way, that was a very disturbing voice. I will not do that again. Uh, <laughs> instead, I think he meant what he said to a different church, a church in Thessalonica. He said this in 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, chap, uh, verses 8 through 12. We can put that up. Sorry, I know I'm supposed to be using this thing, aren't I? Oh, there we go. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, the church. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked day and night that we might not become a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct, Toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I love this, this little passage here. When I love verse 8, as Paul says, I didn't share with you just the gospel, my very lives. I get excited about getting to know each one of you. I really do. Each person in here. And for some of you, that might cause you to secretly think, I'm never coming back here again. But I hope that's not the case. But still, I really do look forward to that. 
What I also love about here is how Paul, even while teaching them, he shows, he reminds them how transparent he was with them. How his life was a snow globe with them. They knew it all. While he's teaching them, he peppers in things like, I'll put it in, uh, see it up there in yellow. You remember, verse 9. You are witnesses. You saw it. For you know, verse 11. And what's better than looking back on being in a church, knowing that someone's cared for, seeing that someone's actually cared for you, seeing it with your own eyes, having confidence, knowing that it's true, and be able to remember it fondly, right? Looking back and saying, man, I, re- I really remember that. It was a great experience. And that's what I want for this church. And that's what I want in my own life, only with God's help, of course. Back to Acts 20. Verses 22 to 23, we see that Paul is struggling with what's going to happen to him. He's basically saying, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. I don't know how it's going to go down. I don't know if people are going to bring me in shackles or, you know, put me away in the dark hole with only bread and water for, you know, 15 days. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know it's going to be hard. Right? He's a pastor who shares his struggles, his worries with his people. We see it in verse 25 too. Look with me there. Verse 25, he says, Behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. It's kind of sad, right? Paul saying, man, I'm looking for a little closure. Not just for you guys, but for myself. Paul is seen as this guy who doesn't have any emotions. Like you read him, you're like, man, he says some hard things. It's not the case. If you ever read 2 Corinthians, Paul was a guy, you see in that book especially, who's intensely affected by relationships with people. So in conclusion, just on this point, why does, why does being a snow globe, <laughs> it's kind of hard to make a serious point and say snow globe, I realize, but why does being a snow globe scare me? Being that kind of open, transparent, scare me. Well, one the people in snow globes, you know those little weird misshapen people? Remember you ever look at those landscapes that are like little blobs of like a face and a weird hat and things have no eyes? The, the people in snow globe are very tiny they're, and they're left feeling very small. And the nature of ministry, the nature of being a pastor is that my faith will often be left feeling very small. One, because my faith is often small. But also because it's available for everyone to see. Right? So all their struggles are out there. Scares me too, being this open, because, you know, think about snow globes. Snow globes, they have a nice serene influence, right? The beautiful landscape, etc. But you shake those things up and it's chaos. The world of the snow globe. Right? The poor people inside the snow globe, right? It's so sad. They have manufactured basically dandruff coming on them. You know, like all the time. And they never know when it's coming. When's it going to strike next? We don't know. The kids just shake it up and then sometimes throw it. Um, Similar to pastoring people in a church. Uh, There's unpredictability about pastoring people. Um, And that's okay, because I know I'm unpredictable as well. Um, But the pastors I admire the most don't just minister well under such stress and chaos, but they remain affected when people are struggling, when they're going through pain or heartache. Right? When, when they complain or when, they, when they just, they're griping maybe sometimes. That happens too. Or 
when, man, they're just having, struggling with the same sinful habit that's really hurting them, it can be frustrating. Man, it's easy for pastors to just kind of get hardened to that so they can go on with their lives. But the best pastors I know are the ones who stay affected by those things. They care enough to stay affected. And that's what I want. And, and you can pray that, that for me uh, as well. Read Paul's words in 2 Corinthians again if you ever get a chance. He gets affected by people, not necessarily in a bad way, as long as the concern for, for people is for their good. And it brings us back to God, who alone can change lives. Right? It's not enough that we just care. It's got to turn us back to fearing God and change his lives. The good news is, too, a snow globe can be seen as an example of hope. All right, so when a child gets a snow globe, all right, um, where does he normally put it? He or she? Anyone know? Just some places. Give me a few places. You can shout it out. What's that? On the shelf. Um, also, I think like next to their bed, oftentimes, like on a nightstand or something. What's that? Dresser. Dresser. Yeah, somewhere where they can just see it. I mean, my son had his Disney's car snow globe, uh, has had it next to his bed for the last four months. All right, he loves this thing. It's like, it's like comforting to him, strangely enough. And unfortunately, did not survive the move, but the, uh, the goo, the, the clear, transparent goo poured out uh, while packing up. Well, here, don't tell him that. He doesn't know. Um, but he loved it. I think he loved it because it's like another life in there. It's like, you know, it, it, it's this like, man, it's peaceful. It's great. It's another life. I love that. Another world. So I'm asking that God might use my life my family's life, is an example of, of at least one in your neighborhood, around the corner life. A life that's real, that struggles, that relies on the grace of God to carry on and obey Him. That's my hope as a pastor. Provide that kind of example. It's not perfect, but relying on God's grace, for sure. The pastor is a compass. I'll get through this last one here, then I'll, I'll stop. pastor is a compass. And of course, a good compass always points where? Anyone know? A lot of mumbling today. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to get more familiar with each other. Uh, I'm assuming, so yes, north. Thank you. Thank you. Do north. <laughs> Try to get an easy one there. Yeah, do north. Thank you. Uh, good compass always points due north. Upwards, right? It's interesting. When Paul talks to churches, and all of his letters to churches, all but three, he gives his resume. How many of you guys have worked on a resume recently? Maybe to get on the island? Okay, three, four, we're graduates. Some of us are ashamed we're working on a resume. Not really sure. Is it really a resume what I'm doing? So, Paul's resume, it's interesting. He could put lots of things down. Man, I've, you know, I've started 15 churches, pretty much shared the gospel with all the non-Jewish world. Awesome. And that'd be sweet, right? Paul begins every letter in his resume with this. Called by God. Or by the will of God. That's Paul's frontline resume right there. It's the first point. Now, that's very important because once a pastor forgets he's called by God, he's doomed. And he is doomed because Satan... The world, even sometimes people in his own church at times, not you guys, of course, will try to convince him that you're not really called to be a pastor. We must remember that we are called by God. 
But thankfully, while a pastor's ministry is primarily pointing north, the potential pitfalls of the Jesus plus me campaign, you know, the Jesus and me campaign, we're doing this alone. Forget everyone else. Thankfully, he gives us, he gives pastors some things that accompany such a ministry. Humility, tears, and trials, as he says here in verse 19, right? I serve the Lord with humility, with tears, with trials. The word with here means in the Greek, accompanied with. Because just like, you know, we, both of us, we, we, all of us, we don't look for tears, right? We don't look to cry necessarily. Uh, we don't look for trials in our lives. We don't, we don't like go searching out for them, right? Uh, they, they come our way. We know they're going to happen. You know, we don't even, we're not even called to search for humility. Yeah, not even humility. It sounds strange. But what happens is when you seek God, you get humility thrown in, all right, by nature, because God is huge. I am puny, all right? So when you seek him, you're going to get humility, all right? An author I really like named C.S. Lewis put it this way, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you do not know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You know, I would add to this, you cannot see God if you're always looking to the side either. What do I mean by that? If you're always looking to other people, you can't see God. That's all you're doing. True for a pastor. Because it's only when the compass is pointing upward we get humility. In fact, what we often mistake from pastors or people we might know in these positions for compassion or human decency, it can often be pride. And that sounds weird. But either thinking that he can save people or even worse... (laughs) Wanting the glory and full knowledge that he can't save people. He wants the attention for himself or things like that. Man, struggle. That's a struggle for pastors. God gives genuine tears to a well-compassed pastor. To a pastor whose compass is pointing north. Right? He gives God-sized compassion versus me-sized compassion. Praise God for that. Because you don't want me. You surely don't want me-sized compassion. Uh, that wouldn't be, be good for you. So when you were in the hospital, or you're coming to grips with the tragedy in your life, which one would you want? God gives genuine trials, too, to a well-compassed pastor. Genuine trials. It's interesting, because Paul mentions his trials here. Who did they come from? If you look closely in verse 19, they came from his own people, didn't they? The Jews. Came from his own people. And it's that way oftentimes in the church where uh, the people who hurt us the worst are other Christians. Ever notice that? Man, it stinks. We're called to love each other. Not be judgmental. Not tear each other down. I've got a couple examples of this uh, in my own life. Uh, I had a mother. This is back when I was working in student ministries and working with high school students. I had a mother once berate me, repeating time and again that I was intentionally trying to ruin her child's faith by changing youth group nights the night of our youth group. She said, I was trying to ruin her child's faith. 
And she added, in fact, that, uh, you know, you're doing a pretty good job of it so far. <laughs> it's like, well, I will th thank you. I will receive that now and uh, go and cry. Um, I also have uh, also received a, a veiled death threat from a father in Colum uh, Bogota, Colombia. Uh, that was also fun. So this happens sometimes as pastors. Um, but that is nothing. That's nothing. I want to just gripe to you a little bit. I thought you might enjoy the Bogota, Colombia. It sounds bad, doesn't it? Someone's going to kill me. But nothing compared to the trials of a guy named Charles Simeon. I want to tell you about him real quick. He's a pastor of Trinity Church in Cambridge, England, for 41 years. This was kind of the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century, a long time ago. I was looking at this guy's life. Let me tell you, this guy had some trials as a pastor. Back then, uh, families had pews, all right? So if you came with a family today, you would be sitting in your own pews, right? Went back. And you, each, each family had a lock, or excuse me, had a, a key, so you could open and lock your pews, all right? When he came into the church, they would lock their pews and not go to church. So that on Sunday mornings, when people came, they would literally just line up in the aisles. And you just have to sit in the aisles. So you can imagine it's 18th century England. People are, are sitting in the aisles of a, of a grand church. I right, just imagine that today. This might happen next week. Like, not, not, not in my row. You know, and I mean, devastating to this guy. He... Uh, <laughs> The key primetime service, all right, the, the worship service, was Sunday afternoon. That was like the big service. It was like Sunday night football, if you, you enjoy uh, American football. I don't have a soccer equivalent, sorry. But it was like the big one. And, and his congregation actually nominated, I don't know how they did this, I don't know why they were giving this right, they nominated an assistant pastor to preach that service, all right? And after that guy left, and he had been at the church a little bit before Charles Simeon, so maybe you understand. But after that guy left, they nominated another dude to preach that service. They actually voted him out of the pulpit. All right? I mean, it wasn't until 13 years of serving in that church as the main preacher pastor that he was able to preach that service. I mean, I just think about that, and I hope that doesn't happen here. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say that we don't have a vote in this church, all right, for you to go, yay! All right, please don't. But interesting thing about his life, when other pastors went to him and said, hey, how, do you, how have you held up? How have you endured this from, from your experience? He said, brothers, we must not mind a little suffering in our lives when it's going to point us upward and glorify God. I mean, that's awesome. I love it. Now, I'm going to stop here. Uh, I'm just going to close. I know with all these things, look, man is impossible. With, with man, this is impossible. 